Hey church, welcome to episode 11 of our series in the book of Romans. And today we're going to be in chapter 10. The title of the sermon is Messengers. And the big question that I want to ask is what is faith and its effect? That's what we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 10. What is faith and what is it, its effect on you? Or on anyone that comes to faith. And so the passage today starts in verse 12. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you have a Bible at home, you can turn there. Or you could read on the screen below as well. From verse 12 through verse 15. Here's what God's Word says to us. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So following last week in Romans chapter 9, there's a question that is often asked. In fact, I was asked it by several people, and that is this. If God chooses you, because last week we looked at the doctrine of election, God chooses you, you don't choose God. If God chooses you and bestows salvation upon you, then why should you speak to anybody about Jesus? Is there any importance whatsoever in evangelism? Because it's all on God anyway. So why should you be concerned with sharing the gospel? And then in the very next chapter, where we are today in chapter 10, the Apostle Paul speaks about faith and he speaks about the necessity of sharing the gospel of sharing about Jesus, of sharing everything that he's talked about for the first nine chapters with people because they need to hear and that it is beautiful, the feet of those that go and preach the good news of Jesus. And so I want to walk through this and see how these things are held in tension and they're not in conflict. So starting in the very beginning, verse 12 through 13, the Apostle Paul says this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For, this, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the Apostle Paul says, God is the God of everyone. There is no distinction. And then he picks out two people groups, the Jews and the Greeks. And the Jews and the Greeks represent different types of people. The Jews represent the religious people. And I want to say there's two types of religious people most often, both now and in Paul's day. And that is, there are those that are performance, they have a performance mindset. They are devoted to earn their relationship with God. You might say they're legalistic. There's a strict adherence to the code, to the law, because they need to earn their salvation. They need to earn their relationship with God, or they are afraid that they may lose it. 
by not upholding the rules and the standards. They're devoted to earn. The second type of religious people are those that are socially conditioned into a religion, meaning they have been raised a certain way. Their faith is really just a byproduct of their culture. They were told this is what you believe, and so they believe it, but they're really asymptomatic believers. Their belief has no effect on their lives. It's really just a status on social media. It has no effect in their everyday life. There were people like this in Rome too. So those are the Jews. They represent the religious people. And then there are the Greeks. And the Greeks represent the irreligious people. Now I want to say there's also kind of two types of irreligious people, both in Paul's day and also in our day today. There are those that are atheist or agnostic. Atheists very clearly are irreligious because they believe that God does not exist. They reject any concept of God. And then also agnostic. Now, agnostics can say, I just don't know. Maybe they've looked into it, but I don't know, so I haven't landed anywhere. Or I don't really want to know right now. It doesn't concern me in the moment. Maybe when I'm older, I'll start to think about faith in God, but I don't know. And then the other aspect of those that are irreligious is what I would call, you know, quote unquote, spiritual. Those that say, I don't want to follow any specific religion or any specific concept of God. I would rather kind of decide for myself what my spiritual life should look like, what beliefs I want, and would fit neatly into the type of life that I want to live. This was the case in Paul's day too. They had so many different philosophies and different gods you could worship and you could be quote-unquote spiritual by kind of choosing how you wanted to live your life and what concepts or thoughts about God you wanted to adhere to and apply to your life. And certainly we have the same reality today. So the Apostle Paul says that God does not have any distinction between those that are religious or irreligious. In fact, he's the God of everyone. God has chosen and decides to save those that are religious and those that are irreligious. He's the God of everyone. The labels that we place on ourselves or on other people are of no concern to God. He is the God of everyone. And he wants to bestow his riches on all people. And then in verse 13, it, he says this. Let's read it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if you were with us last week reading through Romans chapter 9, talking about predestination and election and that God chooses you, you don't choose God, you may be reading this and thinking, wait, 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 did Paul make a mistake? Last week, it was about God choosing who he wills. And now it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's happening here? Is Romans 9 right and Romans 10 is incorrect or vice versa? Is this a contradiction? No, not at all. Because that is in fact true, verse 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is the God of all people. He does not distinguish between labels 
In fact, if you look at Christianity, it is not bound within a country or a certain people group. It is in every place in the world because God is the God of all. He shows no distinction. And everyone who calls upon him will be saved. You see, it's really important to understand something, and that is that we have a very different vantage point than God. From God's vantage point, which is what we looked at last week in Romans chapter 9, God chooses those that he will call to himself. But from our vantage point, we hear the gospel and we call out to God in faith. Two different vantage points. They are not contradictions. And so everyone who calls out to God will, in fact, be saved. Maybe a simple way of stating that is that everyone who calls out to God, God has called to himself. Everyone who calls out to God, God has called to himself. And we said last week that God, that we do not understand, nor do we know who God calls, but we do know something. And that is that God knocks on the hearts of his people. That Jesus knocks on our heart to come in and to change and transform, that this is in fact the sign of election when God knocks on your heart, when you call out as a response to God in faith. After the sermon last week, uh, someone came up to me and said, hey, I have a question for you. And I knew what the question was going to be because it is the question that I have heard all the time. It's a question that I've asked myself when I start, first started wrestling through the book of Romans. And that is this. How do I know that I am one of the elect? How do I know? How does anyone know? If Romans 9 is true, and I'm, I, I'm following that doctrine of election and predestination, how do I know that I'm one of the elect? Well, the answer is, if you have called out to God. If you have faith. If verse 9 is true of you, which we haven't read yet, but here's what verse 9 says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do you know that you have been chosen by God? How do you know that you are one of the elect? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed in your heart that he was raised from from the dead? If you have faith, if you've called out to God, you have been chosen by God. It's much more simple than we make it. But here's what's really important, and I, I believe why the Apostle Paul spends so much time here in chapter 10 talking about faith. Because the type of faith that we have is important. It's not just to say, I believe in God, or I believe that God is real, or I believe that God is love. These general statements that are easy for anyone to make because there's no specifics. But it's the type of faith that is important. The type of faith. And what is that type of faith? Look at verse 9 again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. There are two declarations of faith 
two very important declarations of faith. The first one is this, that Jesus is Lord. Now, that word Lord is the Greek word kurios. And that word is actually a translation from God's personal name, Yahweh. So, when you declare that Jesus is Lord, you are declaring that Jesus is God. The first very important declaration of faith is to say that Jesus is not simply a great teacher. He is not simply a prophet. He is not some type of a lesser divine being than God. No, no, no. Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. He is Lord. The first very important distinction and a marker of saving faith is to declare that Jesus is God and there's something else attached to that. Because the Caesars would use that word, curios, for themselves. They would call themselves Lord, which essentially would be to say that they are God-like and some would claim to be a type of God. They are God-like with supreme authority because certainly God has supreme authority over all. And they would hold to supreme authority over all of the empire. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you say Jesus is God, you are also saying that he is the supreme authority. That he has supreme authority over your life. Every aspect of your life. He is Lord. God. The one who has supreme authority authority over your life. This is the first declaration of faith. The second declaration of faith is in Jesus' work. In verse 9, it says that you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is to say that you believe in Jesus' work, that he died on the cross for your sin, was buried, and came back alive on the third day, resurrected. And that the reason that Jesus died and rose is to forgive sin, in particular, your sin. So that is so important to understand the type of faith that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Saving faith is faith that says Jesus is God, the supreme authority, the one who died and rose from the dead to forgive sin. That is a very clear statement of faith. That, in fact, is the Christian faith. To say Jesus is God, the supreme authority, and he died and rose from the dead to forgive sin. It is to believe that in your heart and to confess it with your mouth. Now listen, that is a very bold statement. In fact, it should be a shocking statement. It certainly will, it would be a shocking statement to many people. It requires not just your lips saying it, but deep heart belief from which those words emanate. It's not something you can just say because you were socially conditioned to believe it. It's not something that you would say if you are seeking to develop a spirituality for yourself and create it and fashion it according to what fits and feels comfortable for you, you would not say that. And if you believe that you must earn salvation 
and you must validate your salvation by your religious adherence, you cannot say that. Because you are taking the position of supreme authority over your life so that you can validate your salvation. And you can earn it. And you invalidate the cross and what Christ did to forgive sin. You see, that statement is a statement that reveals that something has taken place within you. That God has done something in your heart and in your mind and in your soul that you could make a statement and believe with all that you have and declare with your mouth that Jesus is God, the supreme authority who died and rose from the dead to forgive sin. Now, who are the people that believe this? Who are the people that believe this? Jesus actually speaks about it. He gives this parable that's famously called the parable of the sower. Jesus says this. He says, a sower goes out to sow seed. And some of the seed falls on a path where there's no soil. And the birds come and devour the seeds. Some seed falls in this kind of rocky soil that's very shallow and the, the plant sprouts up really quickly but when the sun hits it, it withers and dies. Some seed falls within the thorns and it grows but over time the thorns choke it out and it dies. But Jesus says other seed falls in good soil and the seed that falls within good soil begins to grow. And it grows and grows and grows over time and it begins to produce fruit. And that fruit is ever expanding tenfold, a hundredfold. And then Jesus says this, he who has ears, let him hear. You're like, okay. And then Jesus, thankfully, says, let me explain to you the parable. And here's what Jesus says. The seed that falls on the path and gets devoured by the by the birds are those that hear the gospel and they reject it outright. I would say that these are people that fall in the camp of irreligious, atheist, agnostic, or the spiritualist say, I don't want that, I'll make my own way. And then Jesus says that the seed that falls within the rocky soil, because it has no roots, it grows up, but when he says, the trials and the difficulties of life, be, meaning the sun, press down upon it, and heat it up, it withers and dies. I think this is oftentimes experienced by those in the church that are really more on the irreligious side, but they're masquerading as religious because they've had this emotional moment and they've, they've, they've declared the right statements they've said the right things but there's no real root of salvation within them and so when the difficulties of life come and their faith no longer works for them like it worked in the moment they wither and die and they go another way it's almost like christian spiritualism and then lastly the seed that falls within the thorns that grows up and gets choked out jesus says that these are those that when the cares of life and the lies of riches begin to influence them. 
they reject and no longer want maybe what they were socially conditioned to believe or they had been following out of a strict religious adherence. But the good soil, the good soil sees growth. These are those that hear the gospel, that understand the gospel and call out to God with this genuine heart belief and a confession of their mouth that Jesus is Lord, the supreme authority who died and rose from the dead for sin, to forgive sin. You see, Jesus is really saying here that what verse 10 says is true of those that God has prepared good soil within them. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. When the seed of faith is planted within the good soil that God has prepared and cultivated, something happens to that person. Their heart believes that they are justified and their mouth confesses that they are saved. Now, these two things, the heart believing that they are justified and the mouth confessing that they are saved are things that are held together. They are one in the same, but there is a differentiation. So to say that you are saved is to say that you are are now enjoying a right relationship with God. You are justified with God because he saved you from your sins. And to say that you are justified is to say that you are in a right relationship with God because he saved you from your sins. To say you are justified, to say you are saved, are like two sides of the same coin. But he identifies here, the Apostle Paul, that the heart has this belief that you are justified and your mouth confesses that you are saved. And that's because though they are held together as one in the same, there are these distinctives that are important. I like to describe faith as a seed. And a seed has two main components. It has others as well, but two main components. If you look at a seed, it has a shell and then within the shell, there is an embryo. There is an embryo. And I want to say that the embryo is this heart belief. It is this heart belief that you believe that you are justified, that you are made right with God. That is the embryo. And then there is the shell, which is confession. You see, the embryo is something that happens within you. It is a belief that happens within you, that you are justified and made right with God. And then you have the shell, which is the exterior. It is the protective component of the seed. And that is confession. It's what comes out of you. It's what you say. It's what you share. You confess with your mouth that you are saved. Both of these components, the shell and the embryo, are a part of the same thing, the seed. But they're different. They have different roles or functions. And I actually, I believe that that is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Is that when you see God preparing this good soil within you, and that seed of faith, however it arrives, and 
through whomever it arrives, finds its root there and begins to grow, you experience these two components of faith. One, you experience it internally changing you. Your heart believes that you are justified and you are internally changed. You see, the embryo in a seed, when it's activated, it begins to grow. And the same thing is true. When faith is activated within you, you begin to grow internally. That growth begins to change how you think and how you act and what you view as important and what you worship. Heart belief. But then there is the the shell of faith. Faith doesn't only internally change you. It is also externally expressed. You begin to confess with your mouth that you are saved, that Jesus is Lord, supreme authority, who died and rose from the dead for sin. You express it internally, and these things almost happen simultaneously, right? You're internally changed by faith, and externally you express your belief in Jesus and who He is and what He has done. And this, in fact, this confession protects you just like the shell of a seed. The very next verse in verse 11, the Apostle Paul shares something I believe he's saying it protects you from. And it's this reminder in verse 11. He says, For Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. You're one of the most destructive factors in our life. Each and every one of us is shame. Shame can destroy relationships. It can destroy confidence. It can destroy so many things. But when faith finds that good soil that God has cultivated and prepared, and it internally changes you, and then you confess it externally with your mouth, it reminds you that you are not put to shame. That is, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation in Christ. Actually, your shame was crucified on the cross. You're not put to shame. You're saved. You are saved. Last week, I talked about how God tackles you. I used the illustration of a bank robber and or bank robbers that were friends of mine and they, they ran off towards the bank and I tackled one of them to save him and the other four went into the bank and, and everything went wrong and they shot a guard and killed the guard and they tried to escape but they were captured and they were sentenced to death. And those four that were sentenced to death, the responsibility was on them. They chose to run towards their own destruction. But the one who was tackled by me cannot claim responsibility himself for his freedom, for his deliverance, because he was heading in the same direction before I tackled him. And that this is how God works with us. We are all running towards our own destruction, and yet God tackles us. He rescues us. He prepares within us this good soil so that when we hear the gospel, when it is brought to us, as he will say, by another person, it finds its root. It can grow and it's activated internally and expressed externally. That God may have called us and chosen us and prepared this soil within our soul, but from our vantage point, 
we hear the gospel and we, we believe it and we understand it and we call out to God. And everyone who calls out to God for salvation will be saved. Everyone. Listen, you are not only saved from destruction, but you are saved for declaration. You are not only saved from destruction, you are saved for declaration. God tackles you so that you can become a tackler for God. That's what the Apostle Paul wants to say. He wants you to understand that you have been saved from your sin so that you could be saved for God's use while you're here to share that very same news with other people. You see, here's one of the things that I hear all the time. Well, listen, if, if God chooses you, if he prepares a good soil within you, if he plants the seed of faith in you, then why share my faith? The question I posed at the very beginning. I mean, evangelism is not necessary. God, I, God's going to save. I'd have nothing to do with it. But here's the effect of faith. It changes the way you think. See, I want to say something that is true of um, some within even our own denomination. There's an unfortunate label for those within the Presbyterian world or the Reformed world that believe in the doctrine of election and predestination, they get labeled this. And sometimes it's true. We've got to be honest. They're the frozen chosen. They are chosen by God, so they're frozen in their seats. God chose me. I don't know who else God's going to choose, but he's going to choose them. He's going to bring them salvation. So I can just be concerned about my life and my worship. You see, you can't think like that. The gospel doesn't allow you to think like that. The apostle Paul doesn't say that you should think like that. And you certainly cannot live like that. You have been saved from destruction so you can be, so you can be called and sent for declaration. You are saved for declaration. You see, we have to remember that our vantage point is different. God calls and he chooses. But from our vantage point, we hear and we call out to God, and everyone who calls out to God is saved. And here's the amazing thing about God. How does he call people to himself? Through us. Through us. God tackles people to rescue them from their own destruction, but you know how he does it? Through us. Through us sharing that good news, that message of deliverance, Sharing that Jesus is Lord, the supreme authority who died and rose from the dead for sin. God may be preparing the good soil. He may be planting the seed of faith, but he calls you to go and to share. You have the privilege of being used by God. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 14 through 15. He says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they are to preach unless they are sent? He's speaking all about election and predestination and calling out to God in faith. And then he says, listen, you know how God does this? Through you. Through you being sent. Through you going out and preaching. Now listen, you're like, I'm, I'm not a preacher. Well, Thankfully, 
preaching here doesn't mean preaching as I'm doing right now. It's not vocational preaching. The word preaching here actually means herald, to someone who makes an announcement. And this word is connected to something that was a common reality in Roman society. You see, this is pre-printing press. And so whenever there was news to be shared, you had people whose job it was to go out and to share the news in the streets and in the marketplace. They were like walking newspapers. So when the Apostle Paul says that you are called to go out and to share, that you are sent to preach the good news, he is saying that you are to be a herald for God, that you are to be in the streets in the marketplace, like your office, and you are just to announce the good news of who Jesus is. If you believe in Christ, there is no room for you to be frozen in your seat. You're a herald. You're an announcer of the good news that you have received. God wants to use you to tackle people, to rescue them, to deliver them. And he says something so important to hear at the very end. He says in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I always thought that was an interesting verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. He's speaking this entire time in the, in the previous verses about you declaring with your mouth. A herald would speak and announce the good news. So he's, he's talking about the importance of you declaring with your mouth the good news of who Jesus is. But then he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who announce the good news. What's beautiful are your feet. Why? Because listen. You are not called by God to save people. That's God's job. But you are sent by God to share with people. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is beautiful is when you go. The movement towards other people with the gospel. When you move, use your feet to walk to them and to share, the movement is beautiful. You see, what is on God is calling people to salvation. What is on you is to move towards people with that message of salvation. And that is beautiful when you move towards other people with that message of salvation. And there's one other really comforting thing. On, on that verse, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You know what doesn't have to be beautiful? and oftentimes is not beautiful, your speech. It's not required for you to have beautiful speech. See, so many people don't share the gospel with their friends or people they meet in the office, even family members, or declare it in the street. Why? Because they're afraid they won't have beautiful speech. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be messy. You may say something wrong. I'll leave that to the professional communicators. No. All those who have called out to God, 
who have believed in their heart and been internally changed by faith and who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, who rose from the dead, all those who claim that are sent to go. And you don't have to have beautiful speech because it's not on you to persuade someone to salvation. God will call them. God will save them. You just move towards them with the messy, inarticulate speech. See, God was gracious to me. I'll never forget my first experience ever sharing the gospel with someone when I became a Christian. I remember very vividly talking to this woman, and I started to share the gospel, and I remember like my mind leaving my head. I have no idea what I'm saying. I was talking, and I was thinking to myself, this makes no sense. I don't even know what I'm saying. It, nothing's adding up. And then at the end, I, just, I, I thought, I literally was thinking, okay, I got to wrap this up. Okay, let's wrap it up. And I was like, you know, what, what do you think? It was like so awkward. She looks at me and starts bawling, crying. And I'm like, really, I'm like, I really offended her. I don't know what I said, but I really offended her. She looks at me and she says, I believe in what you said. I believe that Jesus is God and he died for my sin and rose from the dead and I, I, w- I want to give my life to him. I was shocked because I don't even know if I said those things. But guess what? God used my confusing, messy speech and he called someone to himself. And what's beautiful is not the way I shared, but it's that I moved towards her. And every time you move towards anyone to share the message of Jesus, it is beautiful. And God wants you to experience the privilege of that because it is a privilege. You see, one of the things that happened recently with my oldest son, Roman, is he wants to help cook at times. He wants to help cook spaghetti this one night. And I let him help cook and he wants to do all the different elements of it. And I'm thinking like, I I can't let him do it completely by himself because we won't eat. You know, he doesn't it's the the pasta is going to go everywhere the sauce the whole thing but i'm there with him i'm letting him experience the joy of cooking and then and then sitting down at the table and saying i made this spaghetti and us all loving it and delicious but i'm really helping behind the scenes i'm making sure that everything's going the right way so that we could eat a good meal and this is exactly what it's like when we move towards somebody with the gospel god is right there with us he wants us to experience the joy and the privilege, privilege of being used by him to see somebody come to faith. That he is prepared and he's there making sure that everything goes the right way. But it's a joy and a privilege that we get to experience. You see, it's beautiful when you move towards somebody in faith and you share And many times you get to experience the joy of being used by God. So I want to say to you, church, as the Apostle Paul says here in verse 17, to remember that faith comes through hearing. And we are called to be the ones that share. And for any of you today that maybe are hearing this message of good news for the first time or in a fresh way, that God is the God of all, he shows no distinction, and that he is knocking on your heart, 
And that that seed of faith is being planted in you where you say, I want to experience that forgiveness. I want to experience that freedom. God invites you to himself. And listen, the promise is this. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, including you right now. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and I want to ask you to pray alongside of me and call out to Jesus for salvation. Because the promise is that it's yours. It's yours. So will you pray with me? God, I'm broken. I've tried so many things for satisfaction, for happiness. But God, I want to call out to you because those things have not worked. and They won't. Jesus, I believe that you are God, supreme authority over my life. I believe you died and rose from the dead to forgive my sin. And I trust that as I call out to you, I will be internally changed and I will confess even now and in the days ahead that I am saved by you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, let me encourage you to let us know. You're not meant to do faith alone. You're not meant to walk this journey of faith alone. But walk it with us. So let us know by filling out the Connect card. Reach out to somebody you may know in the church or just email or message one of us on social media. We would love to follow up with you and to journey with you and answer any future questions that you may have. God bless you.